God, America. Hopefully, politics. Donald will go the other way then. He said a lot while he was in power, and oh, hopefully, says he's always now. said a lot. He's mm. going to keep talking. He's going to make a comeback. Oh God! Oh, look, you can just feel it. The can't next you? election. I can't cope if he does. Like that would just be terrible. Hello and welcome to the Pending Approval Podcast, a talk show highlighting the ups, the downs and the complete headfuck moments of the business world. We have a skew on advertising and I'm your host for the show, Glenda Wynyard. Producer G is with us again. Hello. Hey. We've been able to rope someone else in this week. How do we feel? I know. Our subject for this podcast is so exciting. It's one of my favourite types of advertising you can do. You get such an adrenaline rush when you are in the thick of it. Today on the show, we have Stuart Gillies here to discuss all things influence and political advertising. Welcome. Hello. Hey, Stuart. Stuart and I have worked together for many years now, so it's good to have finally roped him into something like this. He tried to wiggle out of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually the perfect time to have Stuart here because of all the drama happening with the Royals. Who would have thunk it? Meg and Hazza are really out to shut things down this month. Oh, my God, how did you get that in amongst a political <laughs> forecast? It's called a pop culture reference. Oh, I think as a, as a Republican, I uh, <laughs> sort of look at the uh, the monarchy as kind of like the Kardashians. So while it's interesting to watch, it really has no relevance on our lives here, I think. Drama, it's real life the crown. Yeah, but God, oh, come one, on. 1.3 million people tuned into Oprah's interview Crazy. out of Did Australia. Did you guys watch it? No. No. Did anyone watch it? I don't know no, anyone who's watched I didn't. Thing. Yeah. I didn't, but I love the goss, you know? Yeah. Got to get a little bit of the tea in there. Look, let's get off this Megan and Harry topic. <laughs> real politics. Yeah, real politics right now. So, like I said earlier, we've been working together for a while now. How long? 12 years, do you think? I don't know. I think it's about 12 years. Yeah, yeah. I had to do some maths on the train this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I think a fair while. So, um, I think we sort of started working together once... Digital, I had a digital agency back in the day and that turned into then making, uh, designing things that turned into content and then we're making content for clients and they would put it on their website or put it on their social channels at the time or, or wherever and it wouldn't get any views. So they're like, well, the content must be rubbish. And I'm like, well, no, you're actually in a distribution strategy. So we called in Glenda and got your team to actually do the other half of the job. We make good content, got to get it out there to the right people. So that's where we started working together. Yeah, we did. Now, how did you get into advertising? Because I feel like a lot of us sometimes fall into it um, or if our, like particularly because a lot of our degrees for a few of us that are a bit older than you two in the room. <laughs> but how did you actually make the decision to get into advertising and, you know, make it your own? I don't think I ever made the decision to get into advertising. I did like an international business and systems development back when uh, it was called IT uh, or information systems, I think, back then, uh, back in University of Tasmania days and sort of started a web uh, digital agency at the time when it was just websites and e-commerce systems and then... uh, People don't ask you for their logos, they'll ask you for some brochures, you know, print materials. And you sort of continue through as social media started picking up, they wanted you to set up their, their social channels. No one was really talking about content or advertising at that stage. Uh, then I moved to Sydney and worked for a company called Chameleon Group who did a lot of the uh, marketing automation systems for franchise groups. So like ANZ, Glory Jeans, Flight Center, etc. And over time, they come and ask us for scripts and campaigns and radio ads, and it sort of just evolved from there. So, yeah, it was kind of not a choice at any stage, but glad I'm in it now. Um, I don't think many people from my era sort of chose to go into it. It kind of they fell into it through a different uh, pathway. Yeah, I definitely fell into it. And I've been I've been falling and flailing it ever since. So now you're the managing director of Campaign Edge, or the dickhead in the corner office, as I like to call it. Yep. 
So can you explain a little about a bit about what Campaign Edge does and what they specialise in? Because I think they'd be really good for our listeners. Yeah, so we are a full service agency, but we really specialise in the political progressive space. We say that we're experts in the art of persuasion, which means we're not just in uh, the business of getting you likes on a video or making worthy videos. We're trying to make campaigns that actually persuade people to do something, whether it's change a vote, buy a product, you know, sign a petition, put pressure on the crossbench around the IR omnibus bill, which is being debated today, etc. So we think that creativity and emotion are the key to engagement and creativity is the art at the heart of the persuasion. 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 Persuasion, a strategist's favorite word. (laughs) As a strategist, though, I feel like we can all appreciate how strategic politicians are. Very strategic people with what they say, what they do, everywhere they go, events, things like that. They're basically like the original advertisers is what I like to say it. So how long have you been working within the political advertising space? Because I think that's very different to the generic product, mm. you know, food, beverage, advertising that you see every day. Yeah, I was thinking about this and I think it's eight to 10 years, but it's kind of like dog years, I think. Um, it doesn't sound that long <laughs> when you say it, but I think we've done 21 council, state, by-election, federal campaigns. We've won 17. Uh, I think we've won some of the tough ones. Thank you. So we got Anastasia Palaszczuk elected the first time, uh, the first one for Michael Gunner in the NT, and the recent ACT campaign was keeping Labor in, I think, for a record six terms. It's hard to do. You know, there's always a mood for change when you've been in for that long. So, yeah, we it's kind of always been on the periphery of uh, doing Labor campaigns. We did a lot of work with the unions over the years, and we still continue to do so. So, yeah, it's been a long time. I always say that events uh, dictate political success. Mm-hmm. So why do some campaigns fail when, when you think they should never fail and so then that actual politician or that political party should win? Why do they sometimes fall over? Well, often they are either not talking to the right people or they're trying to put too many messages or too many policies, as the last federal election showed, into the mix they often talk to people that they can't persuade, so there's no point. They're sort of wasting their time and effort there. So really they need to work out, I guess, what the audience need is and answer it with their product, cause, brand, policy, etc., and find the most persuasive way to actually get that through to the people. Most people don't give a shit about politics, let's be honest, and most people don't give a shit about politicians. So we need to find a way to you know, figure out what people actually need, what's in it for them, I guess, is the, the main thing. You know, politicians obviously get quite a bit of a backlash, and I find that really interesting at times because nearly everything they do is in the public eye. Yeah, always on. Yeah, always on. And so how do you identify what's going to be the most effective in a campaign? We test a lot of stuff, basically. Like the the science still is we do a lot of focus groups, do a lot of polling. We put a whole bunch of things in. We do a whole bunch of animatics, um, test things, test different territories, different ways of saying things, different messengers, different techniques, etc. And really focus groups are, are still... They've got a bad name, but they're still underrated. Getting that initial response from real people is really important in the work we do. It's so interesting Mm. because obviously like now there's no time to do focus groups. There's no time to kind of keep going back and testing your work. So has there ever been an experience where you've gone in thinking that, oh, this campaign's going to be amazing and the focus group's going to fucking love it (laughs) and then they absolutely shit on your idea? Never. Our ideas always just sail straight through. No, that that does happen a fair bit. You're like, this is definitely going to work and you go in and someone will pick something and you're like, oh, I didn't thought about that way. So that's Mm. why you need to... If you just do it in the bubble or you talk to people who are already supporters, obviously they're going to like your work. You get a lot of likes on Facebook, but there's no point talking to those people. They're already on your side. So you've got to make sure that you're actually testing it with the right audience 
uh, and making sure you make the adjustments and it's not just, you know, your ego going through in the ad. It's actually, you know, it's it's born out of insights from these people. Pushing what? the campaign edge, as they mm, would say. We're yeah. very edgy. Yeah. Hey, mm. one of the best campaigns I ever worked on, we had the uh, researchers that were pulling all the focus groups and they were basically coming in at five o'clock every morning. So we would meet at five every morning and we'd get the polls from the day before and things like yep. that. It was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, that still happens. They do the polling till about 11 o'clock at night and do the groups and then in the morning they get a research report yep. at, you know, 4.30, 5am to the leaders and to the campaign committee. They'd be wearing matching tracksuits. <laughs> I used to crack up laughing because you'd have like the business roundtable and things like that at this at this meeting and all the leaders and, and then we'd have like these got two guys in the track suits and they were these matching blue track suits. I've nice. never forgotten it. It's I think I might, I might steal that. The guy, the, one of the guys that was working with me, him and I used to go up in this big, huge lift and we would just be cracking up <laughs> laughing and trying to get ourselves straight before we got in there. It was just hilarious. <laughs> so look, what forms of political argument or support do you feel are really ineffective in a campaign? Because I, or counterproductive or kind of resist the public to sort of make change? I think often some political parties attack people and make them feel stupid for thinking a particular way. So don't talk down to people, I guess, and don't overload them with information. People are only going to take one thing out of the ad. Often, you know, you get a whole list of policy things you need to get into an ad or messaging. You, get the ad, you really need to boil it down to one thing that they're going to take out of it and not try and cram every message in there. I mean, as Dee famously says, our creative director, Facts don't work because we wouldn't be having a climate change debate if they did. So you need to connect people emotionally with it and shortcut their their brain to actually take in the message you're trying to get across. It's very anti-American advertising is what I would mm. say. It's kind of like all the um, medical advertising you see over there. It's like, and all of the list of things that could potentially go wrong with this medication. <laughs> yeah. But you can't do that in Australia. And I feel like a lot of the time in Australia particularly, we're taking that American influence, but political advertising is completely shunned it and said, actually, it just doesn't fucking work. Yeah. Well, we know that negative advertising works. People vote you know, against something that's going to change their lives. They're not going to necessarily vote for something. So you know, the big uh, groundswell after Obama or like the Kevin 07 election, et cetera, only happens very rarely. Most people actually want to vote against something that's going to affect them in their life. So negative advertising, everyone hates it. They say they hate it, but it works. I think people want to move away from that village politics though that you mentioned mm. before. I think that's really important. Just on that vein of thought, and I know this is a bit of a random question to throw at you, but what damage have the alleged uh, sexual assaults done to the Morrison government because he hasn't actually handled that well. He didn't handle the Women's March well. No, he's handled There's it terribly. There's 58% of your voters. Coming out and saying that the protests went well because they didn't get shot at, as they would in other countries, is a despicable way of you know talking about it and not actually addressing the issue. He's had a particularly bad run at it, I think, uh, and really needs to step up to the plate and actually do a proper review that's, you know, looks into all these issues. Now, I'm sure there's issues on both sides of politics. It's not a political thing. It needs to be something that's sorted in Canberra. How would you recommend going forward for them? Is there something that you would say to their marketing team that they should actually be looking at and saying, look, is it public opinion? Is it reevaluating your internal stakeholders and what you kind of use as your policies? Mm, I think that they need to take politics out of this and just do the right thing. Like, you know, this is something that's yeah. totally separate from, you know, needing marketing or needing advisors to look at. Mm. Just don't be a dickhead and do the right thing, basically. Don't be a dickhead, <laughs> Scotty, from, there you go, from Scotty from marketing. There you go, Scotty from marketing. 
Now, I think along the lines of that question, that is very bad publicity. And is it true? Because we've mm. all heard that saying, all publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Does that actually work within politics? No, I don't think so. Like it, even outside of politics. So recently you've seen like the Mary's burger chain up here and the mm. sushi pizza place, I think, in Surrey Hills that basically came out and said that their staff were the staffing costs were too much and the kids should suck it up and work longer hours and not worry about getting paid. And it, the backlash on those two places has been severe and, and rightfully so. So, no, I don't think so. I think that whole idea of, you know, any publicity is good publicity is rubbish. So, like the Clive Palmers and the Paulines have used it successfully in some occasions but has also come back to bite them in the ass a few times as well. Yeah, because they're not seen as being credible, are they? No. They're no. just a joke, I feel. It's like Nick Xenophon used to always be out with some sort of stunt, some sort of deal. Now he got a lot of media out of him, probably got a lot of South Australia out of it. But, you know, in the end, people see through that. So what about political parties? And I often think not-for-profits suffer from this as well, where they get sort of caught up in their own single-mindedness. Yeah. And they actually forget what real people are actually thinking or how they're feeling. I don't think and that's think- just not-for-profits and politicians, though. I think that's probably a lot of brands. Oh, no, totally, totally. But in they the world to of the persuasion and They drink influence. the Kool-Aid. Mm. Yeah, they do. They drink the Kool-Aid and then they kind of forget that, you know, people want to support them, but they necessarily what their agenda is isn't the way other people are going to come at it. Yeah. Do you kind of think that there's a way to work around that or that, you know, how do you get these guys – or these organisations to actually sort of take on board what we're trying to tell them half the time? I think a lot of our time is spent talking about this issue with our clients and, and people is basically, well, you need to do stuff to keep your supporters on side. That's one type of content. You also need to talk to people you want to persuade. Uh, and they're not necessarily listening to you. There's more places they can hide from you and hide from your message now than ever before. So you really have to find a creative way to get through to them and find the what's in it for them. So... Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of brands, not-for-profits, probably political parties as well, think that they've succeeded by just making their supporters happy and, you know, doing something that's safe. <laughs> but we really need them to get outside of that a little bit and talk to, as you said, real people who are out there. And we do that through testing as well. So we test a lot of messages with the right audience. Obviously, if you test it with people who are already Labor voters, they're going to love it. So you got to make sure you go outside the outside the circle a little bit. Yeah. I had a uh, former Prime Minister of New Zealand who told me once that uh, he had to be the guy that the voting public wanted to sit down and have a beer with or a meal with and ask questions of. Mm. Now, I look at Scott Morrison. He's the guy that shed his pants, <laughs> you know, in McDonald's. He goes Did he along really? to the Yeah. He oh, goes God. along to the footy. He... You know, even if you don't agree with his church, you know, he goes along to church, he goes along to the footy. He's the average guy, you know, that people want to have a beer with right now. What do the other leaders have other than Pauline being able to make fish and chips? (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's a fine line. It's more to do with, I guess, the strengths or weaknesses of the party and the brand of the party. Like, you know, sometimes you need a Kevin Rudd, Kevin 07. Sometimes you need Anastasia Palaszczuk. But other times you actually just need the strong brand of the party. So sometimes you get a Bob Carr, who you would argue is probably fairly unrelatable to most people. So it depends on the circumstance, really. I mean, there's a lot of presidential election styles at the moment because of COVID. So you're just putting the leader forward, leader all about the leader. Other campaigns have run are much more about the Labor brand. So, yeah, it really depends on what you're looking for. I think slow and steady will kind of win this race yeah. this, this time around. I really do. Yep. Soundman Pat, you're in the room. Hello. Hello. How are you going? I'm well, and you? I'm very well. I'm pleased to be back here again. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Second time around. Thank you. So which leader do you want to catch up with for a beer? 
How honest do you want me to be? I want you to be really honest. Because <laughs> I've honestly thought about this. Yeah. And as Stuart said, a lot of people don't really give a shit about politics. I'm probably one of them. Doesn't really interest me. So I did sit and think with this question. And I'm kind of going with someone who I would enjoy and really interesting. I wouldn't want to sit down and talk politics. And I would love to sit down with Kim Jong-un. The, the, <laughs> that is being honest. so funny. That would be completely What would you honest. ask him? I just reckon he'd be the most interesting person to talk to. That is so funny. I think I'm heavily What's the relatable by... thing you talk about? Like, <laughs> That's what I'd love to find out. <laughs> yeah, right. What do you do every just, day? I feel like it's just such a closed top. Like, no one really knows what he does. Mr. Do Kim, they? what happens in your country every yeah, day? Exactly Please right. tell me How some of the secrets. Find out. I'm what do you have for breakfast? From, um, the movie, the interview. Have you seen oh, that? yeah, that's a I great. I think that's where it's yeah. kind of got me, but that is my honest answer. I think that's hilarious. That is so good. Here I, I was thinking we were going to talk about Australian politicians, no, but no, just we've gone to Kim. The box. <laughs> straight, Thought you might want to sit, make me, have a beer with Bob Catter and find out, you know, what's going on in that head. I think that would be <laughs> I, interesting. I, but I think Pauline would be interesting too. Like, mm. I think. I could make fish and chips with her, and I love fish and chips. So I would sit there eating my <laughs> fish and chips that she made me, and I'd have a good natter with her because I think she's actually, you know, she's got the heart of the people at there. She just doesn't know how to articulate. She it has very the well heart of the people. Do you really <laughs> I think that? Oh, no, I, I think, think I'd trade that inside. I'd rather have a be with Jackie Lambie. She's very interesting. So, and as a Tasmanian, you know. She's, I reckon, she's very passionate. and Oh, no, totally. She's pretty passionate yeah, she's as well. But cool. I think some of those fringe politicians are, are very interesting no, people. No, sorry. You guys are really forgetting someone very important here. What about the prime minister that just floated away in the ocean for no Harold. reason? And now he's just gone. Mm. Dead or alive, I could ask him, what happened to you? <laughs> you want to go think, back? You want to go back in time? I want to go right? back. in the shark, don't they? I don't believe it. I think two years after he drowned, they named a pool after him somewhere in Canberra, which is kind of ironic, but anyway. That's a bit much, isn't it? A bit the on the whole, nose. Whole memorial pool, I believe. I think it's, I think politicians are fascinating, though. I yeah. always love a politician that's left parliament because they are really quite cool. They're mm. very interesting. They open up a fair bit, I think, and you, know, yeah. you see some of their, some of their true colours, but also sometimes it's kind of annoying because it's like, you know, you've had your time. Don't get involved. Fade so. away. Some of them make so much more sense once they've left than mm. when they were in Parliament. Like, that's what I always I always find amusing. <laughs> well, it's like Obama at the moment, right? Like, he couldn't say a lot when he was in, in power, I guess. But now that he's out, he can say whatever he wants. Mm. Oh, God, America. Hopefully politics. Donald will go the other way then. He said a lot while he was in power. Oh, and hopefully says He's always now. said a lot. He's mm. going to keep gonna talking. He's going to make a comeback. Oh, God. Oh, look, you can just feel it. The next you? election. I can't cope if he does. Like That would just be terrible. So, look, on a more serious note, though, mm. speaking of politicians that I think have always won the heart of the people, I think Hawke had them. The fact that he could chuck down a beer Neck and a all beer. that sort of thing. The on average the weekend. man. You know, the average man kind of really loved him. Yeah, definitely Hawkey. I think Julia Gillard as well um, was a great leader who I really looked up to. We got to spend a bit of time with her during the 2013 election. And then... Um, Kevin, so I did a bit of work with Kevin. Kevin was quite funny, interesting to deal with. So, yeah, interesting, dynamic, different leaders uh, that we've had to deal with over the years. Or it's, with. it's so funny that you talk about Julia because she's mm. had an absolute comeback on TikTok lately all right. about her misogyny um, speech, speech yeah. where all like different women from all over the world have been basically like, what's it called when you like talk the... 
lip syncing. Oh, They've been lip syncing the. That's great. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I did see a news article on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a powerful speech and so relevant still, unfortunately, today mm. and oh. with the recent events in Canberra. So. But do you know what I would I always say about Julia Gillard? I always say that Australia will not really recognise her for the leader that she was uh, for another 50 years. Yeah. And then they'll look back and they'll go, she was absolutely doubt a raw deal. Mm, she yeah. was brilliant the way she handled people. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I met her husband on the rock and ride tour <laughs> for Big Day Out. And nice. it was so cool. It was, he was just such a neat guy, you know, not a husband, a partner. He was just yep. really, really wanted to be part of the scene and ride the motorbikes. And he wasn't allowed. Oh. He couldn't because they couldn't kill him. Oh. So if he fell off the bike, can you imagine the disaster that would have been? Yeah, a bit of a power nightmare. But there. can't let was, the first husband die. No, <laughs> but he was just such the nicest guy, you know, really sort of. And I think you've got to call people the way you find them. And yeah. I thought he was he was pretty cool. So. There are some key words and phrases that really divide people when it comes to influencing them, and it can make a really significant change, especially when we're talking about politics and public opinion. So is there anything that you would say just completely avoid? I wouldn't want to give away all the trade secrets, but um, I just think we stay away from jargon, basically. Like often complexity of message is what you get, particularly in politics. So you need to really um, boil it down to the most you know simple point of view. I wouldn't want to pick words and phrases that work or don't work really, but yeah, it really depends on the on the topic you're talking about. But what about make Australia great again? <laughs> Sounds very American, doesn't it? It does, mm. but but it's also very Aussie. Yeah, I mean, you know, people love the nationalistic pride stuff in some you know parts of Australia. I don't know, those slogans sort of come and go. You know, there's always this big thing about what is the political party's campaign slogan for the election. And then apart from like it's time and a few like that, no one remembers what they are anyway. It's like That's Jacinda Ardern not... back home where she's got yeah, what was keep Jacinda's? moving. Yeah. But keep moving, what does that actually mean? Like why yeah. am I keeping moving? People, there's nothing to move. People worry a lot about these slogans and there's a lot of debate about them and it's like really that's not what the campaign's about. It's just a, you know, an umbrella that a lot of things sit under. It's really not that important. You know, we've had a, a new way and there was like, you know, every version of keep on moving forward or building a better Queensland, whatever it is, doesn't you know, doesn't stick around in people's memory for very long. No, it doesn't really. No, unless you're a trumpet. Yeah, yeah. And you've got you know, make America great again. Mm. I think I think he did that quite well though. Yeah, I think he really did with his baseball caps and all those sorts of things. <laughs> Branding. Yeah. So we're coming up to a federal election, and um, I'm of that firm belief that a lot of these political parties need to be out there a lot longer than those six or eight weeks leading up to um, the actual campaign itself. Yeah. Why do they leave their run so late? Well, they're always campaigning. So, like, they're sort of a year out, they're sort of running, you know, campaign elements, um, you know, with social media obviously being so dominant these days, they're kind of always on anyway. Not like back in the day where you wouldn't hear from them for three years and they come and represent themselves to you. But the thing is, public funding doesn't kick in until six weeks from the election. That's the real issue here. It's so expensive to run an election that, you know, you've got to kind of wait and wait and wait. Now the the sort of uh, issue is you used to leave all your big policy announcements to the end of the election period, but now you kind of need to bring them forward because people are now doing a lot of early voting. So you can't just wait and wait and wait and expect people on the Saturday to go and vote. People vote from, you know, a couple of weeks into the election all the way through. So you've got to kind of make sure you're always on at a certain sort of uh, mid-level throughout the whole campaign. Honestly, so there's a lot of strategy that goes into that. But 
It sounds like something that all brands should be doing, not just political advertisers, right? Like mm. I try and preach this to our clients that you need a level of always on because otherwise people are going to forget about you. And with politicians, some people might prefer to forget about you and you come back once every four years. But what can other traditional advertisers learn from politicians and from their strategies that they go through? Because it has changed in the last 5, 10, 25 years. Mm. So, you know, what can they kind of do to really influence their market? I think it's probably the fact that politicians have to talk to their electorate and the Labor brand or the political party brand has to talk broadly to all Australians. So there's a bit of a difference there between brands. So the the personal communication, the always on that the politician MP does in their electorate is probably something the brands could learn from a little bit, humanising and, and doing a lot more work, as you said, in the meanwhile, while the big campaign stuff still happens, as you said, there might be a quarterly campaign for a lot of brands or maybe a yearly one. I think, yeah, it's it's really just finding a way to cut through to people that's a bit more conversational, which I think politicians are good at, and really honing on local issues. But it's kind of a two-speed economy politics, right? You've got the big, broad, what the party's doing, and then you've got the really local, local issues, the potholes mm. and the sporting club down the road that needs X, Y, and Z. So it's a difficult one to kind of relate to brands, I think. But I do love it, though. I do think that you could, uh, when you think about it, it's more the organisation and then the individual products. Mm. Like you could really do that in manufacturing, for instance. Yeah. You know, the same with... Airlines, you could do the overarching airline and then the individual communities that they fly to. I just think that there's things in there that you can Yeah, maybe that is more relatable, yeah. Mm, The premise does apply to many different brands, even from a not-for-profit perspective. It's being that national versus what happens on the local ground as well. I don't know. I just think that there are learnings out of political advertising that other organisations could take on board. I really do. Well, Stuart, I feel like Yana went... Okay. I don't good. even know who that is. That is that 60 Minutes or is that a reference? Or? Remember Michael yeah, Willisey? Yeah, I remember yeah. I'm Michael Willisey. Mm. I'm Yana V. <laughs> I'm Glenda Winnett. This is a serious podcast. This is a serious right. Very podcast. Serious Very serious podcast. Serious. But I, I actually think it's been brilliant having you in the studio. You've helped us you know, sound so grown up. <laughs> and Pat is about to kick us out now that he's bombarded us with Kim and the fact that he wants to sit down with Kim. I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit distressed about this. No, I think you need to fill the fill the dinner party out with a few other people because I don't know what you talk about with him. But anyway, he'd just be fascinated with you know what goes on there every day. I but just want to ask that, him what he has for breakfast. Like <laughs> what like everyday little things. Like what do you what do you do when you wake up? Do you have a mate? Like are you like the queen? But like how many Mickey Mouse movies have you actually watched? Like I think you'd have to ask some of those questions. Anyway, thank you so much, Stuart, for spending time with us this morning. It's been great insight into the campaigns that you work on and the art of persuasion, I think, is a really nice thing to do. And the way that you work on these campaigns is really quite fascinating, and I, I love working alongside you on that. Thanks, Rose. Thanks for the time. If you want to get in touch with Campaign Edge's Stuart, we'll put his contact details in the pending approval bio. Or if you want to get in touch with Glenda, you can contact our very own Richard Turner. We'll put his email in our bio as well. Okay, G. That's a wrap. Another month down. See you next time, Pat. 